Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. God chose Israel to be his adopted people. God chose Isaac to be his son of promise. God chose Jacob to be the next in line of God's chosen people. You with me? The basis for Israel's election or being handpicked by God is an exercise in God's sovereign will to accomplish his perfect plan. God has the right to choose those he wills to choose. And God is right to choose those that he chooses. After all, he is God. He has the right to choose and his choice is right. That's why we have confidence in him. Oh, I'm not done yet. We're just now getting to point two. Oh man, you guys are looking at me cross-eyed and bow-legged. Number two, here we go. God's right to choose those who he shows mercy. God's right to choose those he shows mercy. This is question number two. Is God unfair? Because some of you are already ahead of the text. You're like, well, that's not fair. If God just gets to choose and it's not based on how handsome I am or what a good person I am, that's not fair. Romans chapter nine, verse 14, here we go. Are we saying then, that God was unfair. God chose Israel at the exclusion of all other nations. We went over that. You were okay with that. God consulted no one. God did not hold tryouts to see which country most wanted it or which nation most wanted it. God didn't hold a contest to evaluate all of the nations so that he could choose on the, base, on the basis of performance of whoever performed best would be his nation. Nope. Uh, God chose Isaac in spite of the fact that Isaac was not the firstborn of Abraham. God chose Jacob before he and his brother Esau had the chance to be compared It seems that God's choosing had nothing to do with a person's merit, value, or importance. Things that we consider important to us. So is God unfair? Is God unfair in choosing? Is God unfair in being God and in charge of all? Verse 14b, of course not, Paul says. For God said to Moses, I, this is God speaking, by the way, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy, and we can neither choose it nor work for it. I'm giving you time to process. I know that that doesn't fit into everybody's theology. So even in some church circles, we have taught and continue to teach this idea that God makes salvation available to you and you can choose to respond to that salvation whenever you feel like it, whenever you feel like you're ready, then you can respond to God. God's just waiting for you to respond. 
Some may protest that I'm using a weak translation because I like to teach out of the New Living Translation, and it's a good translation, by the way. But for the sake of uh, the weak argument, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's look at uh, what is considered one of the most reliable modern translations is the New American Standard. Uh, it's a good, good, good uh, translation to study out of. And so here's what the New American Standard says. Pardon me. Verse 16, he says, So then it does not depend on a man who wills or the man who runs. But it depends on God who has mercy. See, we want to make salvation all about us. And God says, no, it's not about a man who wills or a man who runs. It's about God who has mercy. Uh, but the English Standard Version has become very popular. So let's look at English Standard Version. It says, so then, it depends not on human will or exertion works. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. This is, all, this is not about, God, about man and his will. This is about, all about God and his mercy. Are you with me? By the way, while there is a great debate about this doctrine, there is nothing unclear. There is nothing unclear about these verses. They simply offend any perception that you are your own God. I want to be in charge of my own destiny. I want to do what I want to do, and I can do what I want to do. And God can't stand in my way. If I choose to do this, then that's what I do. It's just not what the Bible says. Brent, are you teaching Calvinism? I promise you, I don't know who Charlie Calvin is. <laughs> See, those that read theology books understand the joke. It's, anyways. But Brent, you were raised Pentecostal. Aren't you Arminian? Because I thought you were Arminian. No, I am very New Mexican. And sometimes I'm Texan whenever I say y'all. I'm not Arminian. I, I defend neither school of thought. I am, whenever it comes to teaching, I'm simply teaching the scripture as, as they're clearly read. Uh, one of the things that we forget sometimes when we're reading scripture is that these, Paul would have written this and it would have been read to people and they would have heard it. And so the, the simplest, most on the nose interpretation is that's gonna be the most accurate because these people didn't take their Bible home and pull up uh, the internet and go through Logos and look at 90 different translations in the Greek and the Hebrew and parse the verbs. They didn't do that. They just heard it. So what you hear when you read the text, that's what it means. See, pastors don't really have a job if you guys actually read your Bibles. It really wasn't a joke indicator, was it? That was a stab. Read your Bibles. It's really not that complicated. It's not complicated at all. We make it complicated because sometimes the word of God butts up against my humanism. I am my own man. And the word of God says, no, you're not. Yes, I am. Get back to your notes, Brenner. We'll be here till Christmas. Paul has been building a case from Romans chapter one that proves our slavery to sin. Adam chose before the fall, before the fall, Adam chose, and what did he choose? Sin. You and I have even less of a chance of choosing righteousness for ourselves after the fall. We have, we don't have a snowflakes chance. 
Paul has, you don't know the rest of the saying. Anyways, Paul has pointed out that our earning God's righteousness through our works and the law is completely counterproductive. Not only can we not obtain righteousness through keeping the law, what we do is we just make ourselves very arrogant and a pain in the rear to be around. Paul has built an ironclad case that salvation is only by God's work in us and that we can only trust in him to begin, trust in him to begin and complete that work. Does that make sense? It's all about him. Do you trust that God is capable of working out his perfect plan? Do you trust that God has all time and circumstances in his hands. Do you remember when we used to sing in children's church? He's got the whole world in his hands. Then we get older and we're like, well, I'm not sure if he does or not. He, obvi- he obviously missed it with Russia, Ukraine, and our president. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> Do you really trust God to choose? We have to edit that. Well, Thomas, I don't know where you're at, but we have to edit a lot this, this week. Do you really trust God to choose to whom he will show his mercy? Did you get, catch the question? Do you really trust God, God, do you trust God to choose to whom he will show mercy? Do you struggle with the idea that you know better than God and you should be the one doing the choosing? Hmm. Paul even gives us an example of God's right about who he shows mercy in verse 17. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you. Did you catch this? The scriptures tell us. Whenever God speaks to Pharaoh, I have appointed you, Pharaoh, for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Brent, that does not fit into my theology. You may not be a Christian then. I just read the text. Don't look at me like I just violated you. I didn't. You okay? God has two purposes in hardening Pharaoh's heart. First, for displaying God's power in Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in all of Egypt. The most powerful man in all of Egypt. God turned Pharaoh's heart, just like in Psalms it says that God turns the heart of of a king God turned the heart of Pharaoh. Second, the second reason for hardening Pharaoh's heart is to spread the fame or the glory of God throughout the entire earth. Can you imagine social media all over the world the next day? Headlines, most powerful man in Egypt does exactly what the God of Israel intended him to do. That's a headline. But if you're a believer and you believe that God is God, it's like, well, of course he did. Of course people do what God intends them to do. Oh, I like it. I like the way you're looking at me. We'll be going back to one service next week. (laughs) This story is not about Pharaoh. 
This story is not even about Israel. This story is about God. <laughs> All of the Old Testament is about God, proving himself over and over about how he is sovereign Lord. This story is not about Pharaoh. It's not about Israel. It's about God. It is about God's power, God's greatness, God's transcendence over humanity. Did you hear those words? It is about God's transcendence over humanity. We want a God who is powerful, but not so powerful that he makes me do things. I mean, other people, if God would make other people do things, that's what we pray. But not me. I don't want him. I want him God over everybody except for me. And for me, I want to be able to pray and ask him to do things for me, and he does them. Sweetheart, that's not a God. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible. That's God in Romans 1, where you can just carve a stick and pray to it. We read the story and we say something ingenious, like talking about uh, Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Brent, stick to your notes. We read the story of uh, the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and we say, man, it would be cool if we could find the original staff that Moses carried around in the desert. That would be cool, wouldn't it? We say, it would be amazing to stand on the bank of the Red Sea where Israel crossed. That would be cool. We completely miss the purpose of the story, that the completely extraordinary God who delivered Israel from the slavery of Egypt has chosen to deliver you from the slavery of sin and give you eternal life. That is a display of God's power and glory. Amen, Brent, that's good. What? You mean like God delivered Israel? That's like God delivering us from the slavery of sin? Exactly. That was the ideas coming, forget it. God is right to choose who he shows mercy. Number three, God's will, pardon me, God's right to his will. <laughs> we talk about man's will a lot. What about, does God have a will? Does God get what he wants? This is gonna be question number three, Romans uh, 9, 19. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? This is reasonable. Why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? Why are we held accountable for what is out of our control? That is a reasonable question. That seems like a legitimate question. Paul has the answer, verse 20. Here we go. No, don't say that. That's, that's Paul's answer. It's like, no, 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 no. You are not in the position to ask that question. And here he, here's what he says. He says, who are you? Well, I'm Brent Head and I pastor Desert Heights Church and started it 19 years ago and uh, it's doing pretty well. Paul says, no, who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Have you lost your ever-loving mind that you would question God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why did you make me like this? <laughs> right? You know, it's whatever your kids say, oh, I got your nose, Dad. Oh, I'll change it for you. Don't, the created thing doesn't say to its creator, why'd you make me like this? When a potter makes a jar out of clay, when a potter, think of the potter, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another jar to throw garbage into? 
Yes, of course he does. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger, even though, because God has the right to show his anger and his power, God has the right to make whatever he wants out of clay. Is he calling us a lump of dirt? Yes, yes, yes. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls. Even those that uh, his anger and power is gonna come against, he's very patient with them who are destined for destruction. Listen carefully. It boils down to what right does God have to get his way instead of me getting my way? Are you okay? Nobody passed out, offering boxes are locked. You can't get your money back is the point. No refunds. It boils down to what right does God have to get his way instead of me getting my way? I have a will of my own and I have a right to my will. We arrogantly think we know how things should be. And then we expect, am I right? And finally, I said something you guys can agree with me about. We arrogantly think we can know what should be and then we expect God's will to conform to our will. Because I know what is good and I know what is bad. I know what is right and wrong and therefore God and I should be on the same page as far as what is good for me and what is good for those that I love and all those around me. Really? Really? Do you think that there will ever be harmony between fallen man's will and the will of a holy God? No, there's not. There's not. That's why God has to do something very drastic as far as salvation goes, like you have to die to yourself and he has to put his Holy Spirit in you so that your will changes. You may be thinking, but why does God make a vessel for destruction, for decoration and vessels for destruction? That's a good question, verse 23. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy who were prepared in advance for glory. Again, I'm just reading the text. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy. Those who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he, God, selected both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. God's will has always been to use those who place their faith in him as objects of his glory. God's plan was never to limit redemption to only the descendants of Abraham. That was not the plan. God intended to include non-Jews all the way back. Did you hear what I said? God intended to include non-Jews all the way back to Genesis 12 and the Abrahamic covenant because he says your seed is going to be a blessing to all the families all over the world. In other words, non-Jews. The Jews rejecting Jesus as the Christ was not an accident. 
It was God's sovereign plan being executed to Gentiles. Gentiles like you and Gentiles like me. Do we understand it all? No, we don't. But here we are, people of faith. Do we understand it all? No, we don't. But here we are, people of faith. Can I explain all the nuances of the character of God? No. So here we are, people of faith. Do I understand it all? No, but I believe. This is not isolated to Romans 9. It's also in the Old Testament, and Paul pulls it out in verse 25. He says, concerning the Gentiles, okay, so concerning the non-Jews, concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy to Hosea, those who were not my people, that would be all the non-Jews, right? All the Gentiles. Those who were not my people, I will now call what? My people. If that doesn't give you goose pimples, then you might check your pulse. Once you were not a people, now you're my, don't get ahead of yourself, Brent. He says, those who were not my people, I will now call my people and I will love those whom I did not love before. God chooses those he gives mercy to and we're on the receiving end of that. God's will has always been to redeem some Gentiles too. In verse 26, he says, and then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Yeah, all you're excited about that. Yeah. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand on the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Not all of Israel is saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. Not all of Israel was saved, only a remnant those who put their faith in God. Are you with me? Abraham was saved by faith, just like you and I. Verse 29, and Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies are not, had not spared a few of our children, if the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we, talking about the people of Israel, the Jews, would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. God spared some of Israel because it was his will to do so. Because if he didn't act, they were gonna be obliterated. Romans 9.30. So what does all this mean? All right, here's, here, we're coming to a point. Don't say amen there. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not, listen carefully, even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, keep the law, they were made right with God. Wait a second, I spent my whole life going to church and doing all these things that I'm supposed to do and now God's gonna make the Gentiles right? They weren't even looking for God? That doesn't make any sense. Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. No one is made right with God by keeping the law, ever. 
only by faith, verse 31. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of, this is very important, instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. They were so busy, the Jews were so busy trying to keep the law that they missed the simplicity of just trusting in God to be God. Don't make the same mistake. We do this in Christianity, we're tempted to do this in Christianity where if we get the formula figured out of, of how I can be a Christian but at the same time live in the world, if I can just find the balance, then I'll be saved and that's not it at all. That's not it at all. We put our faith in God, not just for salvation, but for him to be God over all. And then there's peace in our soul and there's salvation. Verse 33, God warned them of this, script, of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. God knew that people were gonna trip over this whole, just believe that God is God and you'll be saved. You know why? Because God wants you to believe in him, not be working a formula. Does that make sense? He wants a relationship with you. That's the goal, not just for you to avoid hell. If he was gonna do that, then he could have just rubber stamped everybody and everybody would have been forgiven and whatever, we just go on and we would not have a relationship with our creator, but that's not it. God created us to have a relationship. So, so we put, he creates a paradigm where we have to put our trust in God to be God. God warned them, they didn't listen. God warns us. We should listen. God is God over all. That is a very good thing. That's why, that's fundamentally why we would put our faith in him. Because whenever I talk about God being God over everything, there's this humanistic, egotistical narcissism inside of us that says, well, I don't want God to be God over me. Well, then you don't want that God. You don't you, you need, if you want a God, he's gonna be God over you too. God is, I'm coming for, in for a landing here. God has the right to choose his people. God has the right to choose who he shows mercy to. See, whenever I started, y'all were all enthusiastic about those points and now you're like, oh, I don't even know. I don't know what happened to service today. Brent's lost his marbles. God has the right and the power to execute his will. And God is right in his choosing. There's a lot of confidence there. I mean, if you surrender to it, there's a lot of confidence. If you don't surrender to it, it's a lot of frustration. Our responsibility is to trust that God is a good and merciful redeemer. If we believe that, then trusting him with everything in my life is very simple. It's reasonable. Our responsibility is to be grateful that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and that God desires to demonstrate his glory in you. My challenge to you this morning is trust in the almighty God. 
Trust in him with all that you have. All that you have. Do I trust him with my children? Yes, especially your children. Do I trust him with my money? Absolutely, trust him with your money. Do you trust him with, with your future, with, what, with, with retirement and what all goes on at the end of life? Yes, because he is God. We believe that he is God over all and he is merciful and he is good and he is patient and he is loving. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your eternity. Trust him with your family. Trust him with your future. Trust God. His will for you is to mercifully demonstrate his glory in you. There is nothing else worthy of our faith. Does that make sense? So I challenge you this morning instead of getting hung up on God has the right to do whatever he wants, let's concentrate on God has the power to do whatever is perfect. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.